Rhythian Knight, and this is Thai Hi-Fi. In this episode, I interview storyteller Douglas Mackay as he shares some winter reflections that are bubbling up from Scotland well. Dougie Mackay, welcome to the show today. I'm ever so pleased you could uh, take some time out of your day to speak to me. Uh, it is a wintry, snow flurry flittering around in uh, South Cowell today. How is mm. it where you are and where are you? Well, I'm on the edge of a little village called Scotland Well, kind of between Perthshire and Fife in the centre of Scotland. And also we've got a kind of... It's pretty great today. There's a bit of a fluttering of snow. And this is the first day where it hasn't been raining in some description about five or six days. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a bit of a change from the way it's felt. It feels a bit more expansive today. And just that dusting of snow is quite pleasant, quite gentle. Great. And uh, any particular gratitude for the day going forward? Yeah, I think grateful to grateful to be here, grateful to be in this part of the world somewhere that I've yeah, learned to call home for the last 18 months or so. And I think the longer I'm here, the more I, I feel like I'm settling in. From my desk here, I can see out in the garden, we've got lots of trees, I can see the snowflakes falling, I can see the slightly grey sky, but just having that view day to day is, is really, is really not nourishing and nurturing through this time mm-hmm. so that's kind of cool um yeah i think that, that's apparent when i'm kind of we've had this leak in the roof and having to get things fixed but it kind of reminds me that despite these little quirks i still really like being here it's, mm-hmm. a, it's still a great place to be lovely mm-hmm. and i guess through this period of lockdown where we can't go far getting to know it really well and being really grateful to be here i like it nice so uh dougie i'm not sure whether you need this or not i hope you appreciate what i'm about to say um i <laughs> have often seen you in the storyteller's chair and mm. uh that chair has been a place where obviously someone welcomes you to sit in it but you have to you kind of have to occupy a certain sense of authority and presence and you know to be that that person because you know mm. i've seen you coming through over quite some years now and you if you don't mind me saying so i think you've you're becoming quite accomplished at storytelling and so today i want to give you full permission to take off that hat and not occupy that chair and just relax and don't feel like you have to um perform um how does that sound yeah no i appreciate that it's refreshing to be welcomed here in a, in a slightly different capacity so yeah it's a bit edgy in some ways you know you get used to turning up in a with that certain hat and at the same time it's really refreshing to try something different so i'm yeah. happy to follow your lead today and for yeah. that storytelling hat to fall off mm-hmm. yeah well let's just relax and have a conversation there's, there's definitely things i'm i'm curious about how you are at the moment and um yeah, rather than follow a kind of script or for you to um, 
tell tell me a particular tale why don't we sort of meander towards uh perfection how's that sound yeah i like meandering i like meandering all right so um as any good kind of riffing wonder goes dougie let's start where we are uh tell me a little bit about scotland well uh yeah if 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 you could conjure an image of of where you draw your water from because i know you draw your water from the well could you do that for me help me kind of bring me into the place where you are a little bit yeah so i guess the the well like maybe a spring is a more accurate description but the water bubbles up from underneath the ground we're at the foot of a hill a couple of hills bishop's hill is at the back of scotland well and right at the foot of that hill, we've got a little, um, yeah, there's a little covering, stone surrounding with a grating over the top. So you can actually look into this pool and see this amazing water bubbling up through the sand. And at the front of that stone surrounding, there's a little, fun, a little yeah, I guess a funnel in it, and the water gushes through. And that's where we go and gather our water from that gushing, gushing funnel. And if it's so fresh, you know, like occasionally if, if it's as it has been midwinter, it's the weather's a bit minging, don't really feel like going outside the water in the house um, or our well water runs out and you think, oh, I'll just drink from the tap for a day or so. But really, after about two days, I'm really yearning for that well water again. And inevitably, it gets me out in the sleet or the snow or whatever we've been back down to the well to gather that that fresh water that's bubbling up from under the mountain. Mm -hmm. And the one wee story with the well is that there used to be a medieval hospital here. So back in like as far back as about the th even when the Romans came, I think they came here for the supposed healing properties of the water that comes out the well. And the one little bit of lore that goes with the well is that it said that Robert the Bruce healed himself from leprosy from water from the scotland well huh. so yeah there's, there's a bit of mystique around it but um day to day it's where we get our water and it tastes pretty good mm. uh wheelbarrow on your head like how do you carry it nothing quite as glamorous as that i kind of go down in my little peugeot 106 with some demijohns keeping it real stick it in the back i love that 2021 yep nice um that's the way it happened how long has the water been running there do you know i mean i can only assume it's as long as water has been running in scotland which is probably longer than any of our kin have been around the image of the water bubbling up through that kind of silty sand was beautiful yeah mm. i think i've um not seen many well-tended springs you know i had the pleasure of visiting the chalice well gardens in glastonbury once upon a time many moons ago but uh this was right in the center of the village in scotland well i really really appreciate where you are yeah and it, it's kind of crazy right that we don't have more of that in scotland like when i have been traveling in places like the south of spain i was really struck by the way that these springs and these wells are well tended mm -hmm. that you can drive through the mountains and they'll have a little fountain um that's set up for gathering water for drinking and in Scotland, where there's, there is this abundance of clean water, it's not appreciated in the same way. Mm. There's very few of these tended sites where you can be confident or people are directed towards gathering fresh water. And it, it feels like we're kind of missing a trick there in Scotland, because as far as resource, resources go, 
water is definitely one of them, clean, fresh water. Mm-hmm. Sometimes more than we'd like. But um feels like we could make more of that. And it's I'm kind of pleased to find a place where that's the case. Yeah, I hear that. I um you know me, Dougie, I'm a little bit I'm a bit of a map guy. And uh, mm. you know, there are it, it doesn't take much looking and there are definite well and spring sites all over the place, like close mm. to most villages. But yeah, I guess many of us are just on the domestic supply the straight pipes now then yeah. when i came to see you it was kind of high summer right the leaves were mm. out it was warm there wasn't many layers and so let's not pretend we're recording this in the in the dark ebb of the year and um yeah let's not pretend that everything's fabby um yeah how's your ebbing and flowing at the moment how are you how are you keeping generally speaking yeah, it's kind of it's kind of curious. I guess like everyone, it's there are restrictions on my choices and the way I can live my life just now. So those restrictions in the summer that you can't see people, can't travel far, actually was fine for me. You know, I'm in this really beautiful part of the world. You can go walking and long summer's nights, catch the the bird song in the evening. Whereas in the winter time, you know, when it's dark, when it's cold. And I think it's really the darkness, you know, the cold is one thing, but this real darkness in midwinter in Scotland and to not be able to go and hang out with people, to not be able to Kaylee is a real, feels like a real sacrifice. It feels like there's something about togetherness, gathering with kin, feasting, telling stories, singing songs, having a blether, whatever, that that is what helps carry us through the winter time. So there's something a little bit stark about not getting that. And I think end of January there, start of February, I can really feel that. Mm-hmm. And and at the same time, there's something maybe really honest about that, you know, that's like, oh, wow, this is what, when we're just left with our immediate environment, this late winter in Scotland feels, I think stark or sparse is the best kind of descriptive word I can get. So definitely feeling that. Um, and at the same time, I can feel those little seeds of the new year, the new cycle uh-huh. germinating. You know, there's something germinating, even if it's not in, it's not flowering yet, mm-hmm. which I guess makes sense. Yeah. You know, when I came, you were drawing on um, your local woods. I think daily, I think you had a daily thing going on. You were going out to the woods. Mm. Are you um, still utilizing that? as a bit of an anchor in the absence of people at the moment? Yeah, yeah, maybe less so. I mean, to be honest, like this last, again, it's been pretty, we've had nonstop rain and sleep for like five days. Um, so it's less enticing to go outside. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but it's really worth it when yeah. I do. Quite lucky, as I say, we've got the hill at the back, the woods I've become pretty familiar with and also Loch Leven, which is really close and recently was frozen over. So that was kind of exciting to go down to the the loch and see this thick, thick ice that Ella, my daughter, who's 10, was able to go out and walk upon. I was a bit too heavy, but we would, yeah, we had some fun with that. She really loved that. And that was kind of special, having the frozen loch to play with. So it's raining outside, a bit grim and stark, as you say. Um, you're just hanging out on Instagram then? 
I've been avoiding Instagram, felt to retreat a little bit at the end of last year, not been on Instagram, but things like Facebook just found it was, didn't find it very nourishing. You know, felt like I would go on there and just see people, just felt like arguing all the time. And I can understand it. You know, this last year, there's a lot of uncertainty. People are afraid. There's a lot of stress, but just feeling like these really polarized conversations huh. and people having a go at each other. And it's, I just found it a bit frustrating and thought, actually, I'm going to drop away from that. And it's been quite refreshing to just switch it off, actually. Yeah, and I think just coming back to who are the people I want to spend time with? Mm -hmm. Who are the people in my, who are the people that are important to me and give them my attention and hear what they've got to say rather than this medley of social media that's, yeah, it's like the, the people who've got the most to say aren't necessarily the ones that I want to listen to. The people who are always assured of themselves and that show up my algorithm are not necessarily holding the, yeah, offering things, offering ideas or stories that I find useful or nurturing. So I think it's that element of choice, you know, what input in the same way that we we might manage our diet regarding food or we might um, be selective in our lifestyle choices. I think our information and the stories and the commentary and the, the social energetics that we allow into our life may be a bit of discernment around that is useful. That's what I found anyway. Yeah, sure. This last few months. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, I'm hanging out a lot on Zoom. And when you were mm. talking there, it made me think about that of honoring the quiet voices. Mm. You'll be familiar with that principle. Yeah. If you will. Yeah, I guess algorithms aren't set up for that, are they? <laughs> you know, I notice when I don't go on Facebook for a good while and I put mm. out a, you know, a, a shout out or a, you know, a request of friends, it doesn't actually get the traction or the reach mm. um, that I normally would if I'm on there all the time. And I guess that's a mm. that's an algorithm thing. Curious game. I don't know if you use Zoom much, Dougie. I have to use it quite a lot for work. And it's quite, I'm finding that quite tricky with eight people on a call. Though actually, it's not that people have to speak, is it? But it's about holding that space so that people yeah. get a chance to consider what they really want to say. And, yeah. Um, Don't necessarily have a, a listening culture. There are all kinds of modalities that I learned to employ as a kind of facilitator face-to-face -face mm. in terms of holding space and, and you know, holding mm. a space open for people to consider what they want to say. Um, yeah. Suddenly being transported into this digital realm, it's a very different thing and i'm noticing the gap sometimes i'm like oh my gosh yeah 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 i think what's tricky is reading energetics like i know if i'm in a room i know with the storytelling with the facilitation um there's a need to sense where people are at you know there's nothing worse than a storyteller rabbiting on for hours about something no one's interested in you need to be able to pick up what folk what brings folk alive when they're maybe getting bored and to be able to steer the ship accordingly. And that's tricky on on these digital platforms to actually work out where people are at. So I'm, I'm definitely missing being able to sense the room, so to speak, or sense where people are at. Mm -hmm. um, 
so there's yeah there's a certain there's a richness to having these technological avenues available but i am i'm really yearning for just a group of folk a group of folk in a physical space together doing their thing mm -hmm. so mm. in the absence of getting outside and in the absence of social mm. media and with the limited means by which you can reach out to people that are important to you what are you doing to nourish yourself dougie because you you know you're clearly still standing yeah i'm still in the game <laughs> i think i'm i am allowing some of that winter rest that feels important recognizing there is this big change in the world and just to carry on in my own habitual modus operandi might not be the best thing so there's been something about the pause that has been kind of imposed on the world over the last year allowing that to influence my own behavior yeah for a long time i wasn't really inspired to hop online to tell stories to find more stories to put videos out there yeah kind of stopped and took some reflective time and it's been quite interesting to see what's come out of that i'll be the judge <laughs> we'll, let, of that. we'll let you judge it <laughs> no i'm sorry go on <laughs> there's been some random little detours like spent a couple of weeks last year wrote uh, a rap and i have like one rap to my name um got interested in creative writing got interested in poetry different things like that recently got a bass guitar been playing around with that so just allowing that creative exploration not be always related to my profession so mm. just creating a bit of space and being actually i'm going to play bass just for myself um i mean i'd love to share it with other people but just what actually nurtures me and yeah for a while that didn't involve much discovery of folk tales much storytelling and having had that rest i'm finding naturally i'm picking that back up again and recently been finding the folk tales again been finding the myths and being like wow i find this exciting and really appreciating that freshness having had the pause and quite delighted the folk tales myths legends all that sort of thing is inspiring me again yeah that's so great that's a bit of a flavor of my my recent nourishment do you feel like your rediscovery of folk tales is more about you and the folk tale or you and your performance or exposition of them my, my storytelling mentor jan blake says you're only a storyteller when you're telling stories the rest of the time you're just a person which is totally fair enough and over this past year like i'm not that inspired to hop onto zoom and tell stories digitally it, it doesn't carry the same juicy aliveness of being in a live space with people so i've not really been telling and so this whole idea of a performer is feels quite distant from me i still love folk tales i still feel the the sharing of folk tales myths legends live delivery of these um old archaic narratives is really rich and uh, valuable in this current moment and i've been sharing that in different ways maybe it's sensing that sometime soon things are going to open up again and when they do open up again i do want to be able to step out and to share these old old legends these old kind of 
entertaining stories that also kind of encapture or they hold something of an old worldview. They carry the fragments of an older culture that did live in some kind of harmony with the natural world and that was kind of a bit more complex, a bit less easy to pin down and understand than some of the modern narratives that we might catch through through the, the kind of current media channels. Hmm. So I'm going to say, you know, if and when and sometime and in the future, that's all well and good. But right now we are like betwixt and between. We're like neither here nor there. Yeah, and yeah. Um, yeah, we're, it's a pause, isn't it? It's an unknown for an unknown yeah. amount of time. Like, I guess the word which is is non-binary, you know, with with the algorithm, it's like mm. yes and no. In terms of the folk tale, I would imagine that's a little bit different. Yeah, to my sensing, there's something that's much harder to pin down. It's you know, it's hard to listen to one of these folk tales and say, ah, this is what it means. There tends to be several different tones that will be carried through or several things hinted at, but it's like you need to work. You need to work for the wisdom of these in these folk tales. Um, it's almost like they're coded, they're hidden, they mean different things to different people. It's they're not prescriptive, they're kind of adaptive. And so there's something really nourishing for me about, you know, investigating this worldview of the Sami, of the people who lived in somewhere like Siberia or the Inuit or, you know, Scandinavians, Northern Scots. And just let these folktales wash over me. And I'm, yeah, I guess kind of enchanted, definitely engaged by the really specific details. And mm. it's almost like they offer a, they offer a medicine that I can't quite name. I can't quite pin down, but I know there's medicine in it. I know there's good juju in them. And I'm like, oh, more of that. I just mm. want more of that. And there's an, an innate trust that I've learned to develop over the over the years. So over time, they reveal more and more. Mm-hmm. Maybe this folk culture, the way these cosmologies of folk tales exist, it's like it is fragments. And with that, there's a recognition that we might all catch a little fragment, but none of us are carrying the full story that everyone needs to listen to. It's like we catch a fragment and by sharing those fragments, we kind of weave together something which is strong. What's the state of the game with the kind of uh, oral tradition? Yeah, what's your sort of felt experience of that? I think we're kind of, in some ways, we're really lucky in Scotland with that. There are a bunch of elders that are really generous, you know, so what we've been lucky for in Scotland is having a culture of elder storytellers who are really generous in what they can offer and what they share. Once upon a time, you laid this out for me. You were narrating gradations of story from the really difficult ones to the kind of playful telling round the fire ones. Do you remember that? I guess I would have been referencing um, George McPherson up in Sky, who's one of Scotland's last Shenikis or lore keepers, storytellers, of that particular tradition. And I guess where things get interesting is where original stories meet creative license. Like what is the creative license of the storyteller to maybe keep these things fresh, to meet new audiences. And 
which stories really shouldn't you change because they hold something that you would weaken by changing it. Um, so he would talk of these old stories, the big stories, I think, for example, he would talk about the Finn and the Fianna cycle, the old myths that are shared between Scotland and Ireland. And to his opinion, you shouldn't change them. You know, they, they've survived for potentially thousands of years. They're as they are for a reason. So in his opinion, you shouldn't change those ones. There'd be some middle stories, maybe some of the medium folk tales that you could play with a bit. You know, what was the person wearing on that day? You know, you need to use your imagination because a lot of these stories don't give you the detail. They give you the bare bones. So there's space to breathe life into them. And then he said there's stories that were more playful, were more lighthearted. They're more for entertainment. That was the purpose. So to play with them doesn't really matter. But there were certain, to his mind, certain stories that are almost sacred and should be kept that way. And I think that's, I think there's something about just keeping the storyteller's ego in check, mm -hmm. um, which is a useful reminder for us. And that's something of the dance that I find. It's like, wh which of this story is really, where's the gold in this story and where's the space to play? And yeah. I think the best storytellers get that, get that line right. There may not be a binary answer for this. Is there kind of a sanctioning process for being allowed to tell the middle stories or the the big stories, so to speak. If you got a room of storytellers, they could argue for days about that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like what is storytelling? What's good storytelling? How does it evolve to meet the modern world? I guess like I could talk about my own process, which is at the start, I was quite happy to tell, especially Highland folk tales. Because I felt like I could relate to them, you know, the people in the landscapes, no stories I could, I could relate to. But I didn't touch the big myths. I didn't touch the Finn cycle, I didn't the Greek myths, North myths, any of those big stories. Because they're all the way they relate to each other is important, and I could sense that you need to almost know a bit of them all before you can tell one of them really well. It's like they don't. Those stories don't exist in their own. They exist as part of a bigger, bigger framework. And what I have noticed over this last year, you know, having been in storytelling, telling stories in some form for about 10 years, I'm noticing I'm finding stories from the Finn cycle that capture my imagination and I want to tell. Like the birth of Ossian. I'm like, that's a good story. And I feel like now... I've served a bit of an apprenticeship and I could maybe give it a bash. Mm -hmm. And the mead, the mead of poetry, this um, Norse myth that actually Ella, my daughter, told me recently. And I'm like, that's a great story. Mm -hmm. I want to tell that. So what I'm finding is my own experience, it's not a right or wrong, but having been in this game for a while, I now feel like I'm willing to take on those bigger stories mm -hmm. and feel like I might be able to do them justice. Nice. Yeah, and I think that reverence comes from within the Scottish scene. Like there is this kind of, there's a sense of reverence that comes with the storytelling. Mm. I suppose part of the scene is reweaving the cultural fabric rather than sort of narrating a cultural aspect from long ago. And yeah, I wonder in a mm. restored or regenerative culture whether there will be some kind of sanctioning process. I think it's like doing it well. I think it's 
we can have a protectionist culture, which I kind of get, but I think really it's about finding, those of us that are interested, finding the most alive aspects of that old culture and just doing it well. Mm-hmm. You know, doing it in such a way that the old culture is still engaging for yeah. a new audience. Mm-hmm. If it's done well, it'll survive. You know me, Dougie, I've uh, a bit of a blow-in. I've just been in Scotland for 22 years now. I do feel somewhat uh, adopted. I feel very much accepted. But, you know, it's fair to say you are a native, Dougie. You're... Well, yeah, at least on one side, they'd been from the north. They're Mackays. They'd be up from that what would have been Mackay country till they got till they bankrupted themselves and had to sell off their lands to the Sutherlands. But the north of Scotland would have been Mackay country. And um, my dad's not from too far away from that that original place. Mm-hmm. So we've hung out in some of your um, ancestral stomping ground. And mm. right now I'm just thinking about whether there were place specific tales or clan specific tales. Because I, I have found a little bit with other folk tales from distant nations that some of these tales when told properly are completely place specific how's Mm. how's that play out in scotland scottish stories yeah there's some nice local tales you know there's a particular chief of the clan Mackay called donald Mackay from back in the 1600s and he was i guess like historically he was the first scottish chief to be made a lord he was the first lord ray fought in the Thirty Years' War over in Europe. So he was a real historical character, but there's all this kind of curious folklore about him going and studying the dark arts with the devil in Padova and him being the kind of chief student, you know, the best student in Padova, but him set at the end of the year, they obviously had like an annual, an annual calendar year in the devil school as they do in other places. He was so carried away with his celebrations that he forgot that the last one to leave the school would be claimed by the devil. And he was too busy celebrating. Everyone else sneaked off and the devil went to claim him as his own. And realizing at last minute, he said, devil, take the hindmost and pointed behind him to the shadow. And it was just enough to distract the devil enough that the devil was left gripping his shadow as Donald Donald Mackay made a hasty return to Scotland. Nice. And suppose they came back with no shadow. And there are various stories spring from that to battles and Smoo Cave and working fairies and imps. And yeah. That story grows legs, but that's a a little snippet of some clan lore from up in that part of the country. Nice. Well, should we ever be sat at the fire up there, I shall be be offering you food and drink in exchange for some solid stories, Dougie. Hey, check it out. Let's do it. I was curious um, whether this is, you know, what some people might call shortbread tin pish, or there are some real Mm. cultural uh, roots to it. And that's sometimes when you look at the kind of heraldry of the different clans, like because I know the story of the plaid, right? And the tartan. But Mm -hmm. next to that are sometimes a plant totem and an animal totem and a motto. Mm. And uh, yeah, Mm. is that shortbread tin pish or is it like there's some real roots to that? Do you know? Oh, I, I guess I'm not the authority on things like that. I know bits and pieces, like I know some of the clans of like the wildcat, I know the Mackenzies of the stag as their totem. Mm-hmm. 
I would expect a lot of that came when there was this kind of anglicization of the, the clan system. Mm -hmm. And when those shields were made, you know, most of them have Latin mottos, yeah, exactly. which wouldn't have been what the common folk were speaking, you know? So it was at this time when there might have been more of a, a gentrification of the chiefs. But I'm, I'm, I'm totally not an authority. I know, again, the Mackay one is Manu Forti. There's this picture of the dagger in the hand mm -hmm. and it relates to a story you know that there were disputed lands which is very apt that far north disputed lands it was often you know whatever you could defend was yours there were no charters as such and there's a Mackay story where the chief of Mackay was having a rowing um rowing race with the arrival chief whoever got to the land first could get all the land they could walk across in a day Mm -hmm. And he was lagging behind. The chief Mackay was lagging behind. The rival clan chief was reaching the shore. And what he did is he hacked off his hand. He hacked off his left hand with his dagger, tossed it onto the shore. So his, his hand landed on the beach first. And by the, uh, the, rules of the, the rules of the game, he won. His hand lay upon the shore first and he was able to walk and claim the lands for the Mackays. Roots! <laughs> so it's pretty rough. Roots, yeah, rough that's the creation. real deal, though. That is, you see, that isn't um, anything to do with the shortbread tin. That is, uh, that is yeah, a you, genuine. Yeah, you don't get, story. you don't tend to get severed limbs on shortbread no, tins for sure. <laughs> you know, the closest clan um, I guess I could root myself in is uh, a fairly new addition to Scotland, and that's Clan Galgale. Learning, as you try to do when you come to a new place, I was mm. uh, finding out a little bit about the sort of founding chieftain, if you will, Colin McLeod. And, um, mm. you know, the, the motto of Clan McLeod is hold fast. Mm. And there was a really clear, rooted story to that too. So, yeah, I guess I'm still a bit betwixt and between, neither here nor there with whether there are roots to all of these things. Or, you, yeah. as you say, it's an anglicization. I guess we shall find out it's together. A, it's all a mix-up, isn't it? I guess like all these traditions evolve and... There are certain, again, there's certain hints, you know, the hint of kinship that comes with the clan system is maybe more important than bloodline, you know, and these, these clans did mix and match. And it was about, I guess, identity, kinship, relationship to lands, yeah. to a patch of land more than blood, as far as I understand. Mm -hmm. So you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for that, Dougie. Tell me a little bit about um, bass lines and your new bass guitar. Yeah, just bought a bass, acoustic bass, two weeks ago and enjoying riffing on that and early days, but really enjoying it. Mm -hmm. And as I say, feeling a little bit of bass envy when I hear your, when I hear your theme tune. Uh-huh. Thai hi-fi. Well, I'm very, very happy to uh, Joss Jinx for producing that particular piece of music, Jinx in Dub. One of the things I'm particularly missing from lockdown uh, is dancing mm. all night long. Mm. Mm. If I do that once every three or four months, does does something. And, and, and I guess digitally, I just can't imagine how we're going to be able to, like I love being in the mm. muggle of 50 people dancing close together mm. with, with those bass lines, you know, mm. really love that. There's a feeling of kind of yeah. synchronicity and togetherness and unity that um, it's really important to me. 
Mm. Yeah, I guess I'm really grieving yeah. that, grieving the loss of that at the moment. Yeah, there's a, something, well, I mean, I love it. There's something so powerful to it. And it's interesting, I think our ear can be tuned to different things. Um, or we, you know, different aspects of music and definitely those, those bass lines I'm missing too. You know, the home stereo does its job very well, but sharing that with other people, yeah, it's a rare treat. And I guess we're, that's it. These things we're missing are the things that we're, we'll be really grateful for when we can do it again. Mm -hmm. Well, in the meantime, in the neither here nor there, I want you to, I wanted to say thank you, Dougie, for sharing some of the things that are nourishing you at home mm -hmm. in lockdown at the moment. And uh, I guess taking us on a little meander through uh, folk tales and culture. Mm, nice, thanks. Yeah, thanks. Good one. Uh, Douglas Mackay, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, thanks for coming on to Thai Hi-Fi. Great, nice to chat, Red. All the best. Thanks for listening.